All right, and my Uncle Al. Come on up. Um, there's steps right over here, Elijah. All right, so we're doing a series called You Never Outgrow the Basics, and to try to establish and reinforce the, uh, the basic message of this series, I've invited my friend Elijah Hopkins to come up here, and my uncle Al Norton. Would you welcome them to the platform, please? All right. All right, so here's the goal. I would like each of you to put your foot on a crate, and, and what we're going to do is we're, we're going to watch here. You stand here. We're going to see, we're going to watch Alan tie his shoes. All right. How old do you think Alan is? 14. 49. 49. Five, five. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's good. All right. No, check. Okay. Give me five. All right. Okay. Do that one more time, Nordy. One more time. Now watch this, Elijah. This is, this is crazy. So first he ties a little knot. He's going so fast. What? All right. Can you, can you tie your shoe? Okay, let's try this. Okay, whoa, we've got it double knotted so far. Here, you hold this. We got it. All right, I'm going to untie it. And then this, I hear you're just learning how to do this, right? This is a brand new skill. All right, we'll pull this up a little bit. Can you, you want to start here? So we cross over. And then what do you do next? Do you know? Make a loop, maybe? Make a, I used to call it like a rabbit ear. That's right, a loop like that. That goes around, and oh, that's awesome. And then it goes through where your finger is. Can you put it through there? I know, this is the hard part right here. This is, this is difficult. He's closing in on it, though, folks. Here it comes. You coming around? Yeah. Can you put it through there and then pull it through? This is so hard. How long have you been working on tying your shoes? Not very long. I heard yesterday you were amazing at tying your shoes, and your mom said, no, he's just getting started. Yeah. Good. That's pretty good. What do you think, Alan? Hey, that's great. That's pretty good. But the best thing to do yeah. is say, Uncle Al, tie my shoe, will you? <laughs> <laughs> very nice. All right. So, Elijah, how old are you? Six. You're six. Six. And Alan is actually not 49. I know he's in great shape. He is, I think, are you 70? <laughs> All right, so he was 70 a couple years ago, I think, and, and this is amazing because he ties your shoe just like you, t- and he tied his shoe just like you're tying your shoe, so the question is, Alan, when, like, how hard was that to tie your shoe? I'll never forget, because I have to play golf, my golf shoes have to go on my yeah. feet before I play golf. That's who play. He has to tie his golf shoes. Can you do that in the dark? Oh, sure. Can you do that without thinking about it? Oh, yeah. Right. So when do you think you're going to outgrow Never. tying your shoe? Never. Never. All right. There we go. That's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming to church. Thanks, Elijah. Good job. You did a great job. All right. All right. Thanks, Steve. Good. So we're, we're working with this concept that there are, that there, yes, this, thanks, uh, that, that you never outgrow the basics that there are certain elemental, fundamental parts of life that we just don't outgrow. We, we, can, we can neglect the basics, right? We can neglect the, the basics. We might forget the basics. 
Um, and you might foolishly persuade yourself that you no longer need the basics, you've grown in a level to a level of sophistication, that you no longer really need to rely on these basic fundamental principles of life. You can get along just fine without them. But my contention is that some things, not a lot, but some things are so essential, they're so foundational, they are so core ingredient basic that you, you just never outgrow them. You don't move on from the basics. The basics and your practicing of the basics, it just becomes more mature. Um, it just becomes more elegant in a sense. It just becomes something that requires less um, painful kind of effort. I mean, you remember how challenging it is, or if you're teaching somebody to tie a shoe, it's like your fingers, these little things. I mean, I, even, I had to think about it this morning when I was tying my shoes. Like, look at how my fingers just do this. They just hold this and pull this under. I haven't thought about it for years, and yet when I teach my kids to tie their shoes, it's this really painstaking kind of dynamic. That's the way it is with basics, but only for a little while, unless you neglect them. If you continue to practice Basics, they become just simpler, something that, that um, matures, I think, is the best way to say it. it de you develop over time. And this is why baseball players, professional baseball players, who earn over $100,000 a game still take ground balls every day. They still take ground balls every day. They practice the basic fundamental parts of playing uh, baseball. This is why my Uncle Alan, who's like 70 years old, still ties his shoes, just like he did when he was six, like Elijah. Right. So last week we talked about uh, the basic of God's Word, uh, the Holy Bible as the basic element of the Christian faith. Um, and I urged us to see and to read and to engage and to view the Bible as God's revelation to us. Yes, it's history. Yes, it's literature. But it's not going to compel you unless you understand that this is the heart of God revealed to you. And so I urged us to see it as the revealed word of God. And I urged us to love the word, to love the word. Today, I want to talk about your work. Last week, we talked about the word. Today, I want to talk about your work. As we talked about the word last week, several people said, man, it's just so difficult to find the time to read the word. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready for work in the morning. Today, I want to talk about that big, massive part of your life that's taking all the time in your day, the thing that makes doing almost anything else really difficult to do because it requires so much time. So we're shifting gears, and I want to focus today on your work. All right, two questions to begin. Hope you have a notes page. I want to, want to invite you to just write some stuff down uh, for clarity's sake for you. First question, what is your vocation? What is your vocation? What label would you put on it? What's it called? <clears throat> maybe it's like a nurse or a teacher or a car salesman. Or maybe it's, don't talk about what it was. Talk about what it is. If it's retired, it's retired. That's, that's what I am. I'm retired now. Um, what is your current vocation? Some, our second question, what is it that you actually do? What is it that you actually do? What is the, the, the more basic, elemental parts of what you actually do? Like a friend of mine is a, a, a nurse at Kaiser, but what she actually does is she takes phone calls and she offers medical advice over the phone. She's a call nurse. Um, maybe you're a teacher, but what you actually do is care for children or you teach them to read and tie their shoes or to write? What is it that you actually do? 
All right, we're going to come back to that. And the, ba- the more basic you can get with that question, your answer to that question, I think the more helpful this will be. Here's my goal for the next 20 minutes or so. I want to challenge us to consider our vocation, to consider our work as one of, if not the main part of life where you will grow, you will honor God, and you will serve others this year. I want us to see our basic work as the cutting edge of our personal and spiritual growth. I want us to see our 9 to 5, or probably more realistically like our 6 a.m. to our 7 or 8 p.m., not as the part of life that we just need to get through. I want us to see that part of life as the part of life in which we are partnering with God to restore all things. And some of you are thinking, yes, that's exactly how I feel when I'm at work. I'm restoring all things. It's so full of meaning. And others of you are thinking, bro, you have no idea where I go to work. This is not a view that I can even realistically consider as as something I can do at my job. And maybe not, but I want to, considering the fact that you're spending most of your life doing whatever it is that you're doing, I want to ask you to just consider a perspective on that today, all right? Just consider this perspective. We all need perspective on work. I need perspective on my work. I think you probably do too. So in order to try to provide some, I'm going to try to summarize 5,000 years of thinking or perspective on the topic of work. I might miss a few details. I'm going to have to paint with broad brush here, but I want to try to trace the shifting perspective on work through five major movements that have gone on in the last four to 5,000 years. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. First, in the Old Testament, men and women were called to do certain acts, certain work, uh, but one of the most remarkable Jewish perspectives or biblical perspectives that was different from other cultures when it came to work was this. People's specific actions had ramifications for all of life, for all of life. So your work was not divided from your purpose. Your work was integrated into your life and into your purpose. Abraham called to leave his father's household, but that's really not what it's about. That's the way he obeys the Lord. That's the work he does, but it has a greater purpose. What's his greater purpose? Become the father of a nation. Moses is called to advocate for the freeing of slaves, but really that's part of a bigger life call to lead a whole nation of people into the promised land. I realize Abraham and Moses are pretty unique individuals with pretty special calls, Yes, but the Jewish understanding is that every single person in the community has a job to do that ultimately, whether it's carving wooden bowls or tending sheep or serving as a priest, every job is ultimately part of becoming a people who give glory to God and represent God to the world. Let me say that again. Every job is ultimately part of becoming a people who are giving glory to God and representing God to the rest of the world. Every job. So every work has a greater purpose. That's the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we read a lot about specific kinds of work, and we read a lot of instruction about how to work, but in most cases, the examples given have to do with the organization of this emerging Christian community called the church. So we hear a lot about apostles and healers and evangelists and missionaries, not because the other vocations don't matter um, and had no greater spiritual purpose, but because the majority of the New Testament just has to do with the creation of and the dynamics within the church. So there's a lot in the New Testament 
that um, we can apply to all professions. But we might say, I think, that the writings about work in the New Testament focus on the work of the pastor, focus on the qualifications of the spiritual elder, uh, focus on the call, the role of the missionary, all right? So to summarize so far, Old Testament, your work has a greater purpose. New Testament, we just get this periodic focus on church work. Then in the Middle Ages, which is like 500 to about 1500, this unfortunate distinction really gets entrenched. The church began to talk about vocation only in terms of church work. So the New Testament focuses on the dynamics of church work, but the medieval church talks about vocation only in terms of church work. So priests and nuns and monks had a vocation. Everybody else just had a job. That was the emerging perspective. If you're doing religious work, then you were called by God. But if you were a farmer or a metal worker or a merchant, then your work was the phrase is necessary but worldly. So some people were called by God and other people were doing necessary work, but it was worldly work. And this distinction gets created between the sacred and the not sacred or the secular. What does secular mean? It means not belonging to the church. It means belonging to the world. Now, it's easy to imagine what happens to people's perspectives on work when a few types of work and only a few are seen as sacred. Pretty soon... Um, the dominant idea is that God only cares about certain kinds of work. Or, put another way, that only certain kinds of work, i.e. the sacred kind of work, really matters. Now, fourth movement here is in the 1500s and in the 1600s, the Christian church in the West undergoes this massive uh, revolution or um, uh, Revolution? Yeah, yeah, like a big reformation of the church. Roman Catholic priests like Martin Luther begin to protest against abuses of power, which had become entrenched in the Roman church for centuries. The Roman church leadership is unwilling to bend, unwilling to change, and so many groups protest against the abuses in the church. These people were called protesters or Protestants. And one of the key planks or key ideas of the Protestant Reformation was this idea. It's called the priesthood of all believers. And it's just a phrase that's pulled out of one of Peter's letters. Priesthood of all believers. So Peter writes this in like AD 50. This, is, this gets elevated in AD 15, but he writes it in AD 50. This is what he says. You, and he's talking to the whole church, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. You're all this part of this priesthood so that you can all declare the glory of God. Peter writes that, A.D. 50. So the idea of the priesthood of all believers wasn't new in the year 1500, but it felt new in the year 1500 because so few people had Bibles, and the Bible reading that you would hear was just the sections chosen by the professional clergy. So it is entirely feasible that you could go your whole life without ever reading 1 Peter chapter 2 about the priesthood of all believers. 
So the idea that all believers, not just clergy, had access to God directly because of Christ is this basic Christian truth, but it really catches fire during the Protestant Reformation, 1500s, 1600s. And one of the implications of this renewed focus of the priesthood of all believers was that now all vocations, not just religious ones, were seen as sacred callings, all of them. So it wasn't just intended, this, this emphasis wasn't intended to diminish the role of the priest. It actually was just meant to elevate the role of every other kind of job, every other kind of um, um, employment or vocation. So now for the first time, in more than like a thousand years, people begin to embrace the idea that you can work out your salvation and live out your faith in everyday life. We haven't been thinking like this for like a thousand years, and now we're thinking like this. We're beginning to think like this in 1500, 1600. You can work out your salvation. You can live out your faith all of you, in just everyday life. In other words, God doesn't just call men to be monks. God calls some men to be farmers and some men to be field hands, and God doesn't call women to be nuns, period, end of sentence. No, God calls women to be mothers and merchants. These are also legitimate, sacred callings. Regular jobs could be vocations too. That's, that's the upshot of this. So God writes, or God, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He writes almost the exact same thing to the Colossian church. He says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is, a, this, is a fundam- this is not a fringe idea. This is a deeply New Testament idea. One of the truths that the Protestant Reformation dusts off and lifts up is that you can be a fisherman and fish for the glory of God. You can be a shoemaker and you can do your work for God's glory. You can be the guy who collects tolls at the toll bridge and you can do that work in a way that honors God and serves people. Now you can imagine probably what just this little shift in perspective, this kind of massive impact that it would have on all kinds of work. I mean, out out of this one simple shift, all legitimate work is seen as meaningful, as a way of working with God and for God's glory. All legitimate work. And so this changes all kinds of things. Certainly there are a few examples of illegitimate work where you're literally just uh, making money off of others, usually selling their bodies in some form. But all legitimate work can be seen as working with God for God's glory. Let me give you three examples of what I'm talking about. Western cultures influenced by the Protestant Reformation, they just explode with productivity. They just explode with productivity. People still talk about the Protestant work ethic, right? This powerful engine of productivity, which is interesting because Protestants believe that you're saved by grace, through faith, not by work, and yet, when you believe that your work matters, you do it with such passion that you actually end up being super productive as opposed to somebody who believes that they're in some sort of ancient caste system that has no significant meaning. So you get the Protestant work ethic. Another example is you get this explosion of educational opportunities. 
because you're not necessarily forced to do what your parents did anymore. It used to be for like a thousand years. In the Middle Ages, if your dad was a cloth dyer, you're a cloth dyer. It's almost like this caste system. You're never getting out of it, right? You're going to do exactly what the previous generation did. But with this new, renewed vision of, I should say, a renewed vision of vocation, people are considering now their interests, their passions, they're, they're going to school, they're learning, and so uh, they're going to contribute something different to the world, and so there's this huge surge in educational opportunities for the masses, like for everybody. And then a third example of this shift in perspective about work is this. You get the creation of wealth. <laughs> not the conquering of wealth, not the transfer of wealth, this creative entrepreneurial creation of wealth that just makes all kinds of other things happen. So it doesn't, and it doesn't just stop with your job. Your vocation includes all kinds of legitimate work, but your vacation might, or your vacation, your vocation might also include your role in your family, right? It gets expanded. Your vocation might also include your role in your church community. That's part of your vocation. Your vocation might also include your role in your neighborhood, or in, your, or in your civic center, your city. This is all part of this idea of vocation in the, in the um, post-reformed Christian church. It just blossoms. And so for the reformers, vocation was a call to all aspects of life, lived as God would have you live it, in order to achieve God's purpose and God's glory. Vocation was a call to all aspects of life, lived as God would have you live it in order to achieve God's purpose and God's glory. And that, my friends, is why every single one of you love your job. That is why your job satisfaction, you would rate it as extremely high. That is why all of you are like, I can't wait to go. You're not feeling that this morning. You're not really buying that, are you? Yeah, what happened? What happened? That's weird because it just sounds amazing to me, right? And yet there's this tragic, unfortunate twist that happens at the end of this story that is effectively, it sent us back to the Middle Ages when it comes to our view of work. And it's this, that through the social and intellectual development of the last several hundred years as science and enlightened rational thought have become the only legitimate measurements of truth, God has been systematically just extracted from all parts of life again, including work. We just pull God right out of it literally pulled out of everyday life, sidelined and forced to exist in only religious parts of life. The cry of the Enlightenment is God is dead. And so through this last shift, this idea of being called by God, it's been removed from our work. Very few of us, maybe ex with the exception of monks and missionaries, would say, yeah, I felt called to do this work. No business school today is teaching people how to discern the will of God. You're not going to go get an MBA and be taught how to discern what God wants you to do with your, um, with your business degree. No, you're going to have to go to church to even have anyone be open to talking about how God and your business might be related. So the tragedy is that God, once again, has been stripped away from our everyday work. And if you strip God away from your everyday work, then it's only a matter of time before you strip meaning away from your everyday 
work, and that leads to the spiritual destruction of the 99% of us who spend all our day working regular jobs. And so Christians who are shaped more by culture than by the Bible are left with just two options on how to see work. And we hear these taught in churches now. One op- neither one of them is compelling, in my view. Neither one of them is compelling at all. Here's the two common views. One view says, some jobs are spiritually important, and some jobs really aren't. God is involved in the work of pastors and priests and missionaries, but he's not involved in the work of plumbers. And so the Christians who grow up and enter ministry, the church cheers for us because God has called him to be a pastor. And the other Christians who grow up and become financial advisors, well, they just chose their career path and we're proud of them. But it's different. And then another view that you hear in the modern church is, but the way to make this regular job more meaningful, the way that a mechanic or a merchant or a caretaker can just do their normal job, their regular work, in a way that is more meaningful is to earn a lot of money and give it to supporting the religious work of the missionaries and the monks. Now, stewarding the money that you earn in a way that enables the ongoing ministry of missionaries whose work doesn't generate a lot of income by itself is totally meaningful and totally legitimate and should be done. But if this transfer of funds is the only thing that makes this kind of work meaningful, friends, I I would say we're missing it. I would say we're missing it. I would say, yes, earn enough money that you can support the work that doesn't have a, a real great financial engine of, it own, of its own, but don't stop there. In other words, God's purpose for your regular everyday work is much more than just generating money to give away. Here's the point. Your regular everyday work is the cutting edge of your personal spiritual development. If we're pursuing a spirituality that makes a difference, it must be. Your daily work has got to be the basic part of your life where you are growing, where you are honoring God, and where you are loving people. Your work is the place where you are honoring God and restoring all things. Or it's not because you've bought the lie that your life and your work doesn't really matter aside from the paycheck, so you've bracketed your whole work life, eight or ten hours of every day of your life, you've bracketed it away and you are living a disintegrated life. And that's tragic because you believe that God is involved in your life when you pray to him or when you're reading a story to your grandson but you don't really believe that God's involved in your day-to-day work at at work. (laughs) Because it's just regular work. And so there's this disintegrated approach. It's like our whole culture has tried to outgrow the truth that all of life matters and that God is involved in your work and that God has a purpose for you in your work and God has a purpose for others in and through your work 
that your work matters. Sometime in about the year 1815, it's like we decided that God being involved in everyday life was such a childish perspective that we thought, well, let's just outgrow that. It's, it's kind of childish. We're much more sophisticated for that now. God involved in everyday life. Are you serious? I mean, where's the scientific proof for that? Show me that God actually cares about what I do tomorrow morning. In some any, right? This is what we, and so 200 years later, you and I live in the most affluent country in the history of the planet, and most of us hate our jobs. <laughs> it's, it, it's, almost like, it's almost like you can't ever outgrow the basics, right? And if you try, you think you're so sophisticated that, you, you, that it just it falls apart. You can try as hard as you want to be educated and sophisticated. You'll never outgrow the basics. What am I talking about? You'll never outgrow the basic of the value of work well done for God and others. That's what I'm talking about. You will never outgrow the value of work, any kind of work, work well done that honors God and serves other people. never going to stop tying your shoes. And if you think you will, you're going to end up tripping and looking foolish um, because it's basic. All right, so I need to wrap this up. Let me point you to a key scripture, a key practice, and then a good story to end. Key scripture, you can look at almost any page in the Bible and find instruction uh, about glorifying God through your life and through your work because the worldview of the Bible is that all of life matters. Every single part of life matters. Like I mentioned before, you can look at a couple passages from Paul. He says to the Corinthian church, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It's a pretty sweeping statement. He says to the Colossian church, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God uh, the Father through him. I would say, probably if I only had three minutes to teach, I would say that the basic passage, uh, which is the foundation of a Christian theology of vocation, is the great commandment, where Jesus summarizes the entire Old Testament by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian understanding of vocation, in other words, is built on love God, love people. That's, what, that's, where, it, it's, that's where it's built. That's where it comes from. So you can carry that scripture into your job tomorrow morning. Love God, love people, and you will grow, and you will glorify God, and you will work for the restoration of all things. That's what will happen tomorrow at work if you carry with you at the forefront of your mind, my purpose today is to love God and love people, and that is deeply meaningful. I know it sounds simple. I also know that it is incredibly challenging. I've been thinking this week about some of the regular everyday jobs. I know I've been a pastor for a long time now, but I have had a few everyday jobs. I was a day laborer on a concrete construction crew. I sold carpet, or I tried to, for a summer. <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I was a night shift watchman. How do, you, how do you love God and serve people as a night shift watchman? Security guard. It, 
It's challenging. It, and I hope in your home group she'll talk about this. I hope on the drive home, man, how do we, can, is this, can we actually apply this? I've been thinking about some of your real life jobs. Phone service provider. Hmm. Private investigator. Helicopter pilot. Mosquito abatement guy. Director. <laughs> how do you love God and love people in your real life regular jobs? Try this. Here's the practice. Focus on the work that you actually do. Um, when I have to fill out a form that says, what's your occupation? I mark the box clergy. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. Clergy. It's not helpful at all to me. But if I break it down to what I do hour by hour, that's what I'm asking you to do. This is the practice. Try this. Break down what you do hour by hour. What do you do? I, I read old books, I sit down with people and listen, I teach, I write. What do you do? What do you actually do? I bet you break that down and you can see a whole lot of opportunities to grow, to love God, to love others. What do you actually do? Can you do that in a way that honors your creator? If you can't, we should talk about whether or not that's a legitimate job. But what do you actually do? Can you do what you actually do in a way that honors your creator? And can you do what you actually do in a way that gives dignity and ultimately shows love to other people? All right. Let me wrap it up with a story here in the form of a few video clips. Ryan, could you roll this? This is a story about, well, I'll, just, I'll start with... 19, uh, I went on a mission trip and I felt like that is what I want to do the rest of my life. I don't want to waste my life. I want to reach people for the kingdom. I, I just knew I wanted to do ministry the rest of my life. And then someone came up and said, hey Dave, uh, we really need someone to go down to Mexico to teach English. And I thought, man, that sounds so cool. <laughs> so think of all the ministry I could do if I were fluent in Spanish. So I headed down to Mexico and I wanted a bag to carry my books. So I found this bag maker named Leonel, and uh, because I couldn't find a bag, I went to him and I said, hey, can you make me a bag? I sketched it out and I said, God, would you help this to be the coolest bag ever? <laughs> you know, I mean, ever. I want this to be the greatest, coolest bag, and I want you to get more glory from this bag than any other bag that has ever existed on this planet. Why not? I mean, it's free, just like ask. So I did that bag and it came back, and man, Everywhere I went, people were going, oh, excuse me, sir, where can I get a bag like that? Where'd you find that bag? How can I get one of these bags? I remember laying in, in, on the floor in Juarez. I was like, huh. That'd be cool if I could make this into a real business, you know? Oh yeah, that'd be cool, but I have to do ministry, so I guess I can't do that. <laughs> I was kind of stupid. Do you, so you no, hear him wrestling with this uh, common... Um, this common dualism that exists in our culture between ministry and business. Gosh, it'd be cool if I could do this, but I can't because I'm supposed to do this. It's one or the other. This next clip, um, the next clip is, oh yeah, hear how just his approach to work starts to affect people in his perspective. I was having a lot of fun on social media. I didn't see it as, uh, as a ministry, as a way to influence. 
I, I was just seeing it as a way to interact with our customers. Since then, we've had a lot of people say, hey, you know, I hate Christians. And I think that you guys are like, probably Christians, I think. And I like you guys. I was having a lot of fun on social media. All right, good. I didn't. Um, I love that. That's my favorite part of the video. Um, I think the difference you can make in this culture, I'm talking about our culture, by changing people's basic default perspective of what a Christian is, you almost can't put a value on that because we don't have a great reputation right now. So um, if you can uh, address that by just, uh, by just loving people, oh my goodness, the distance that can go with that. One more clip, this wraps it up. Thanks, Ryan. Success to me is if people are looking towards God and are drawing closer to Him because of my life, I have had a successful life. Simply that. So, you know, I started off with that one bag. And for me, it ended up being the best bag in the whole world. Like, the greatest, coolest bag in the whole world. All right, Success. let's pray together. I pray for grace, Lord, for a renewed perspective on the work we will do tomorrow as we get back at it for another week. I know some folks here are just so exhausted with their work and feel like it's a place of conflict and it's the farthest thing from restoration. And I also know that some people are in a position of just remarkable influence, but they've lost their vision for it. I believe, God, that you have great meaning and purpose for each of us in this season of our lives. Maybe this isn't the ultimate work we'll do, like our biggest work, but it's our work we're doing now. So would you give us vision and creativity? May we, um, may we not outgrow the basic truth that work well done for you and for others is meaningful and will make a difference in this world. I pray for grace to embrace our work as the core part of our life of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.